Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really happy you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. Jim, let's start with the good. And I think people our age, um, Gen Xers, uh, when they think of the gold standard of really good Republican elections, uh, if you're old enough, maybe 1980, uh, certainly though 1994, the Republican Revolution, uh, Republicans take back the House for the first time in 40 years. But there were uh, warnings on the horizon for Democrats a year before that that things might not go their way. Uh, Republicans not only did well in the Virginia and New Jersey governor's races, but they won the mayoral races in both Los Angeles and New York with Giuliani in New York and Richard Reardon in in Los Angeles. And so when the uh, deep blue parts of the country are ready to take a chance on a Republican, you know the rest of the country uh, is pretty fed up with the left, too. And we might be seeing that again in this year's Los Angeles mayor's race, which you wrote about in the Morning Jolt earlier this week, um, L.A. no longer doing the odd year thing. This is the first time they're moving it to uh, an even year. Uh, And as you point out here, Rick Caruso, uh, who sits on uh, the board of the Reagan Presidential Library, is neck and neck at this point and uh, might actually have a real shot at winning this thing. And because He's talking about issues that people care about, namely homelessness and the huge crime problem in L.A. So, Jim, how good are his chances and uh, what are we learning about this race? Pretty good. I think if they're probably if they're probably no lower than a little bit below 50 50. Uh, I think the most interesting question right now, the last, you know, there's been not a ton of polls, but the most recent poll had him ahead in the race by one point over Congresswoman Karen Bass who listeners may remember for being on Joe Biden's shortlist for vice president for about 10 minutes before he selected Kamala Harris. (laughs) And uh, Karen Bass was the uh, head of the Congressional Black Caucus. And, you know, interestingly, kind of highly regarded or relatively highly regarded by the likes of Kevin McCarthy. They say she's relatively easy to work with. Uh, Interestingly, I saw one profile from before Biden's election that called her the anti-Kamala Harris. Um, which I suggest think means that she's a fantastic speaking off the cuff. Uh, but uh, all in all, you know, Karen Bass is seen as kind of the Democratic establishment candidate. And probably as of a month or two ago, who most people thought was the odds on favorite to be the next mayor of Los Angeles. But uh, Rick Caruso, now the, technically he's a Democrat. He changed his party registration to Democratic earlier this year. He was no party since about 2012. But let's face it, by Los Angeles standards, that makes you a Republican or a conservative. Uh, I I, I exaggerate slightly when I say that, but uh, you look at what he said about crime. Not only is he anti-abolish the police, as you know, uh, Democrats are running from this this once, you know, uh, not so rarely held position in Democratic ranks not that long ago. Um, you know, Rick Caruso says, in addition, we should be grateful to the police. We should also have high standards. We should demand they root out corruption. But by and large, we you know, are dependent upon the police and we should be grateful to them for their service, which I think is not certainly not something you find in mainstream Democratic circles these days and certainly not in the progressive left. Um, very critical of the uh, Garcetti administration, uh, pointing out that they've spent a ton that was supposed to fix the homelessness problem and has done very little. Sounds like a lot of graft, waste, 
bureaucracy, uh, you know, all the typical stuff you're used to seeing in city government. Every city in the country is in rough shape or has significant challenges right now. Um, you know, crime is rates are up. Homelessness is up. Uh, property crimes up considerably. A lot of this traces back to the George Floyd and uh, riots and, and issues of mid-2020. Um, the pandemic hit, you know, every place hard, but it was much harder if you were in a city. And of course, we all know California has had all kinds of nutty COVID-19 restrictions uh, while, you know, Gavin Newsom and those folks were going to places like the French Laundry and things like that. So Caruso is this real estate developer. He's slightly wealthier than God. I exaggerate slightly, but you get the idea. And in the last month or so, he's been up on television, making these very clear, I'm from, I, I spent my whole life here. I've lived my dreams here of my family. Oh, by the way, he's on all kinds of charitable, board, charitable boards, helped contribute to the medical school at USC. He is a, you know, uh, down the line Los Angeles guy. He's, yes, being a real estate developer, he's donated to, you know, politicians in both parties for a long time. Um, including, by the way, Karen Bass, a little bit ironic. And he has, you know, by, out of all the, you know, eight or nine candidates, there are only like two or three that are really serious. And Caruso is one of them. And he's probably the most rightward option out of these candidates. Now, do I know he's going to win? No, but I look, if nobody gets 50%, they go to a runoff. And at this point, you'd say the most, the safest bet is, uh, you know, Bass versus Caruso in a runoff. What I think is really intriguing is that he's coming up with, you know, his, his numbers in the polls are rising like a bullet. And as you noted, this is the first time they've had a mayoral election in an even numbered year in a regular, you know, midterm election year. And usually the turnout for LA mayoral elections is something like 20%. It's, it's an off year. People don't pay attention. People only, you have to be really committed. They expect, they expect turnout's going to be higher and it's probably going to be a different universe of voters in the mayoral race than you usually get. And right now, Rick Caruso is all over the advertising, you know, every Dodger game, everything that's going on, apparently you see his ads all the time. So this isn't guaranteed to work. If you have any doubts, I remind you of the phrase, Mike can get it done, which I believe was broadcast everywhere, including the insides of your eyeballs for a couple of months there in late 2019, early 2020. <laughs> um, so, you know, buying a lot of ads doesn't always work, but it's conceivable, you know, not likely, but I think conceivable that he could get 50% in the uh, primary, which comes up in a little less than three weeks now. And at that point, if he gets 50%, he wins and he becomes the mayor. So we'll see how things shake out here. I do think it's very intriguing. And I think that if not a Republican, then the most conservative out of nine candidates is such a uh, rising and potential favorite in this race is a good sign for conservatives across the board. Because if conservatives can win in a place like Los Angeles, they can do really well in a whole bunch of places from coast to coast. No, that's exactly right. And look, a, a Republican or a right-leaning person, even if they're not officially a Republican, you know, they're not going to look like your typical Republican primary in a, in a deep red place. I mean, look at Rudy Giuliani, look at Dick Reardon. They were certainly the best of the options in those years. But, uh, you know, they're not going to agree with uh, most conservatives on social issues and stuff. But when it comes to crime, when it comes to, you know, law and order and that sort of thing, uh, just general competence uh, at the government level, uh, that's the argument you need to make. And then hopefully uh, people listen to that. All right. Well, let's talk about something even better, because, Jim, of course, we've got primary after primary. I election after election this year to watch and so you got to be comfortable while you're doing that so you might as well do it in the comfort of your ex chair and many of us spend more time every day in our office chair than in our cars or beds that's certainly true in the dc area that's why it's so important to invest in the right chair to spend those hours with the right level of support and comfort to get the most productivity out of your day 
X chair has made my time at my desk not only more productive, it's honestly my favorite place to sit for any reason. Not only does X-Share's patented Dynamic Variable Lumbar, or DVL, offer the ultimate customized support, but my X-Share can give me a massage or heat up or cool down. And now, thanks to the X-Share's new FS360 armrests, I can adjust my armrests to the perfect position. All of these unique X-Share features help the hours at my desk fly by in complete comfort. That's why I love my X chair. Go to xchairmartini.com now. That's the letter X chair, M A R T I N I.com, or call 1 844 4X chair for $100 off your order. X chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And for that, we turn to the economy. Yeah, the Dow was down more than a thousand points yesterday, and the new press secretary stole the press corps. Yeah, we don't really pay much attention to that on a daily basis. Maybe they should, uh, but no. Our, our our bad martini today officially is from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who was at a conference in Germany, and she says this is according to Axios is reporting now uh, that higher food and energy prices amid the war in Ukraine are leading to. That Carter term, Jim, stagflationary effects, meaning stagnant economic growth and inflation. Yellen noted that spillover effects are part and parcel of Russia's invasion and the decision to respond to it via sanctions. Yellen added that efforts have been made to narrow sanctions to minimize the negative effect on the U.S. and its allies and that steps to increase oil supplies, such as releasing oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, are intended to curb rising oil prices. Quote, certainly the economic outlook globally is challenging and uncertain and higher food and energy prices are having stagflationary effects, namely depressing output and spending and raising inflation all over the world. She says that the United States in many ways is best positioned to meet this challenge. Here's the bogus part, Jim. She says we're doing what we can to avoid further increases in energy prices. But, you know, we also want to make sure that we wean Europe from dependence on Russian oil and gas. Bottom line, she says, these pressures are not likely to abate in the very near future. Obviously, they could be doing a lot more, particularly on the energy front. Uh, what do you make of uh, Yellen's dire warning and her garbage explanation of what the administration's doing? I suppose that we should be thankful that the happy talk has stopped. Uh, there's no more claims of inflation being transitory and no one's telling you, you know, the hold music at the Department of the Treasury is no longer Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. Uh, they're, they're now recognizing the deep economic problems. There are, in fact, in the front page of the Wall Street Journal today, it's this giant, you know, rather frightening headline, stocks drop based on fears of recession. Greg, it was back in November, National Review held an event. We had Kevin Hassett, who's written for, for us for a long time and who was President Trump's Council of Economic Advisors chairman. And he had said, yeah, I think we're going towards a recession and that the GDP number was actually you know, pretty low, but still in positive territory uh, for the most recent quarter at that point. They had a really big number for the fourth quarter of 2021. And everybody said, oh, Kevin Hassett doesn't know what he's talking about. Ah, oh, all these recessionary fears are nothing. And then we had a negative number for the most recent quarter. So now the question is, do we have one for this quarter? you may have noticed, gas prices are very high, all kinds of complications for the economy. Uh, and if you have two consecutive quarters of declines in your GDP, technically that is a recession. Um, it is no longer this crazy far-fetched notion. People are looking at it and saying, wow, we've really got some serious rattles in the engines of our economy. Now, what to do about it 
you know, did it, Russia's invasion of Ukraine complicate things? Yes, no doubt about that. But it is kind of intriguing how much this was, oh, the, the Biden administration tried to go with Putin inflation. Now, all of us can know the increase in, gas, in, in not just gas prices, but all kinds of prices started well before the February, late February invasion, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And, you know, is that going to affect grain prices? Sure. Is that going to affect certain fuel prices, certain, um, you know, fertilizer prices? Sure. But that's not the only thing that's driving all this stuff. And it does feel like the, there's a lot of times this administration feels like once they found a good scapegoat, their work is done. Uh, as long as they don't get blamed for the problem, they, they can rest easy as opposed to actually trying to solve the problem. I think one of the recurring patterns we see with this administration is that, you know, solving the problem or the, the most immediate way to relieve the pressure from the problem would mean doing something they don't want to do. I'll, I won't rehash everything they do on energy, but I'll make one that's maybe a little thornier problem. So during the Trump years, we enacted all kinds of trade sanctions on China. Listening to this podcast, know that Greg and I are very often very critical of the Chinese government, and thus we are, uh, you know, at minimum open to the idea of sanctions on on China for unfair trade practices, use of slave labor, use of abusive labor, use of Uyghur labor, and genocide, and all kinds of stuff like that. But one of the objects we put a, a sanction upon was truck chassis. What's exacerbating all of these supply chain issues over on the West Coast? They don't have enough supply, uh, truck chassis. So the question is, do you want to keep this sanction in place and not bring these things over from China and have a little more limited supply? Or if you want to live read where all these, you know, you're seeing the uh, the giant cargo containers get stacked up five high in all these shipping ports because there just aren't enough trucks to take them. In this case, does this trade policy cutting off our nose to spite our face? Maybe it would make sense to bring them over in order to relieve our pressures, particularly if we don't think these products are being made with Chinese slave labor or something like that. Um, the baby formula uh, crisis, as I think we've discussed earlier in this podcast, you look, Europe makes a lot of this stuff. European babies don't keel over and die. Allegedly, oh, they're not up to FDA standards. Well, the Europeans have their own health and safety standards. And those health and safety standards are just fine in a bunch of these cases. It's been kind of fascinating to see this idea of, oh, you know, we got to protect American babies from this European baby formula. And, you know, if they find it in your luggage, they're going to customs and border protection are going to seize it. The U.S. has taken some steps in the last couple of days to say, oh, OK, maybe we don't need all of these sanctions. Maybe the European stuff is safe and maybe we can bring it over here, particularly if there's this severe a shortage going on. Um, if you are having these sorts of problems, very often, you know, if, if you, you have a shortage of something, you have a problem which you don't have enough of a thing that is important to make the rest of your economy go, the easiest solution is just bring it over from somewhere overseas. I know there's like, oh, you know, we should be making this here in the America. Biden loves to say, ah, oh, made in USA. Everything we do in this thing is going to be made in USA. Well, there's certain stuff we don't make anymore. And there are certain things where we're trying to develop, redevelop or, or regrow our domestic uh, uh, production of these sorts of things. But it's not going to happen overnight. You know, all of the steel, all of the concrete and stuff we want to do for transportation projects, all of the stuff we want to do for oil, we're going to want to put for asphalt because we want to make all these new bridges and roads and highways. Well, you're going to need oil for doing that. So, you know, if the problem is refinery capacity, then this administration has to say, OK, what is the fastest way we can get oil refineries to either build new ones or expand uh, expand capacity? Oh, by the way, you can't just bring them up presto change. They don't build it. What you do now is going to consider how bad the problem is going to be two, three, four years from now, maybe even more than that. So this entire shortage of long-term thinking, this entire shortage of this, this desperate spin to say it's not our fault, it's Putin's fault, that's not really going to make anybody feel any better when they're sitting there watching the numbers spin by rapidly as they're filling up their tanks this, for the rest of the year. 
No, no. The problems keep piling up and the solutions seem to be very elusive, especially for this administration, because they insist on the solution to everything being the pre-existing agenda, which are not factors and solutions and are actually exacerbating the problem, especially on the energy front. But they, they don't learn. All right. Let's talk about something way better than that. And that is the great deals you can get. And with all the money you're trying to save right now with these soaring prices across the board, uh, MyPillow is here to help, especially with their buy one, get one BOGO extravaganza. Buy one, get one free pricing on MyPillow bed sheets as low as $59.98. The Elegance MyPillows, get one free as after you buy one for $49.98. Six-piece towel sets, $79.98. And the Roll and Go Anywhere MyPillows, $29.98. Greg, did you know that at this moment, people are betting at DraftKings whether I'm going to tell you about the six-piece <laughs> towel set or the Roll and Go Anywhere MyPillow? I know where my money is. Those bets in. And it is the Roll and Go Anywhere My Pillow, which you can use on your couch, your recliner, or in your car. They're versatile enough to take it with you on vacation or anywhere you go. They're available in multiple colors and patterns. They're machine washable, they're dryable, and they come with a 10 year warranty and a 60 day money back guarantee. It's a buy one, get one extravaganza at mypillow.com slash martini. Bed sheets and my pillows are just the tip of the iceberg. Find the full list of BOGO offers by visiting mypillow.com slash martini. Or call 800-874-0104. Stock up with buy one, get one free savings today and get Mike's book free with any purchase. MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. MyPillow.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And for that, we head to the morning jolt and yet another thing to keep our eyes on. This time back in the health arena. No, it's not a new covid variant or uh anything quite like that no it's monkey pox you know those of us who are old enough we remember the chicken pox and of course way back you had the small pox this is the monkey pox uh there is now a case in massachusetts a confirmed case of monkey pox uh, the british have identified nine cases this month as you report for those who have it it's pretty nasty i'm not sure what the death rate is but you're dealing with uh sorry for this painful pus-filled blisters that take a couple of weeks at least to to clear up but the good news is uh from your research jim is that it's pretty hard to spread obviously very different than covid so on uh you know on the scale of one to ten what's the uh health concern here uh at this point i'd say a two or a three I, I, the only thing I would think about is, you know, obviously keep your eye on this. And there are certain groups who are at higher risk and who should be more concerned. First of all, like just an all purpose general piece of advice. If you have some some hives or uh, some sort of, you know, skin reaction and you don't know what the, what that is, maybe you should have a doctor check that out. That's, that's just in general um, for for any type of unusual marks on your skin or breaking out or something like that. Um, but basically, unless you have traveled to uh, various African countries where this type of virus is endemic, uh, since 1970, it's been reported in uh, Cameroon, Central African Republic, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Gabon, Ivory Coast, Liberia, Nigeria, Republic of the Congo, Sierra Leone, and South Sudan. Um, now, as you mentioned, there have been nine cases in the UK. And I think what really uh, disturbs people is that they can't trace a couple of these cases to someone else who has traveled to uh, certain African countries. So there's, you're hearing that phrase, community spread. One of the reasons I am not freaking out about this, and oh, by the way, I feel like this is a case where it's really important for those of us in the media to give the people the facts 
and not freak people out and not scream and not hit the panic button and let them know. Uh, but people might not know. The U.S. has had a you know travel-related case of monkeypox twice back in last year. Uh, one was in uh, Maryland in November 2021. One was in July. In none of those cases were there any secondary cases, no evidence of it being spread to anyone else. Uh, in the Maryland per- figure, uh, traveler was not hospitalized, was recovered in isolation. Um, the one in Texas was indeed hospitalized, but uh, they had, you know, they identified 223 contacts and none of them were spread. They even checked people who'd handled the samples uh, of his blood and things like that in the medical labs, no cases of that. Sometimes a virus just isn't that contagious. In fact, once I started digging into this, the biggest outbreak of monkeypox we've ever had in the United States occurred back in 2003. 47 confirmed and probable cases in six states, uh, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Missouri, Ohio, and Wisconsin. Now it's interesting, this, this, this happened in 2003. I had no memory of it. I went back and I, you know, I was like, God, is this really big news? No, it was not big news. This was on page 820 of the uh, New York Times back then. Um, everybody was given the smallpox vaccine. No serious adverse events were reported from getting the vaccine. If you are vaccinated against smallpox, then you are at least somewhat protected. Actually, I'm going to say somewhat. 85% uh, protected against this particular uh, virus. Unfortunately, for those of us who are Generation X and younger, they stopped vaccinating citizens against smallpox back in 1972, concluding that the virus was eradicated. There is a uh, vaccine that works against this. And in fact, the uh, Department of Health and Human Services did place a fairly sizable uh, order for it yesterday. But this is not a response to this recent report. The first vaccines for this order were going to be manufactured in 2023 and 2024. So... I would say keep an eye on this. This is, you know, another communicable disease, uh, but this is not like uh, Omicron or something where it's really, really uh, uh, contagious. Usually you need, um, you know, uh, close contact, respiratory secretions, skin lesions of an infected person, recently contaminated objects. Um, You know, you're talking about uh, uh, towels, bedding, stuff like that, coughing or somebody coughing and sneezing in your face when they have the monkeypox rash and things like that. Um, Also, let's just note, British health authorities said that the outbreak over there is, quote, predominantly in gay, bisexual, or men who have sex with other men. Greg, I thought that was kind of redundant, but nonetheless, (laughs) yes, if you're in one of those categories, maybe a little more uh, on alert about these sort of things, if you're seen with rashes or something like that. Um, The strain or variant that we have of this has a fatality rate of less than 1%. There is a... Congo Basin or Central African clade or strain uh, that has a higher fatality rate closer to 10%. So that's scary. We have the, the milder one. Uh, in a whole bunch of cases, it you know comes and goes and, and does not have you know long-term adverse health effects. And we've had outbreaks in the past that did not turn into a big deal. So that, those are reasons why I'm not uh, going to medical metaphorical DEFCON 1 here, but it is probably something we should keep an eye on in the weeks and months ahead. Very good. This seems to be a, a different thing every day. You had your uh, great uh, column on diesel and that that crisis that's headed our way. This one hopefully will be far more limited, uh, given the uh, the fact that it's much harder to transmit. So uh, a lot of good information there. Even more in the jolt. So make sure you read that today. As always, you should be doing that. Jim, have a great day. We'll wrap up the week tomorrow. 
See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Uh, those are very helpful to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. China expert Gordon Chang joins me to explain why every American COVID death should be considered a murder victim of the Chinese Communist Party. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Gordon and I also discuss why China has been locking down major cities for several weeks and how its government is poisoning Americans with fentanyl through the Mexican drug cartels. Join us. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.